turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13 is where we'll start. We'll be in Genesis chapter 19 a little bit later. Uh, I feel a lot more comfortable out fighting a gas leak, so you have to bear with me. Um, Pastor always says it's such a blessing to have men in our church that can preach. I think it's more accurate to say men that are willing to preach, because <laughs> I certainly don't feel uh, adequate to preach. I don't. I really do uh, consider it a real serious responsibility to stand up uh, behind the pulpit and preach God's word. Um, but it's interesting to me, Genesis chapter 13, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 19 in a little bit. This is before the nation of Israel. This is before the law. This is, before, this is a long, long, long time ago, almost at the very beginning of the Bible. And it is still uh, just as um, needy of a passage, as needy of a message for us. The Bible is a living word that can speak to us, uh, even from the book of Genesis, speak to us um, it really applies to us in our position and in our world today. Genesis chapter 13, look at verse 7. The Bible says, And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And verse 8, And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. It is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. And the, and the chapter uh, passage goes on. But uh, if you look at verse 10, the only reason Lot has for choosing that land is because he beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. No asking the Lord, no, you know, no advice from Abraham, nothing. Just looks up, sees it's well watered, and chooses that land. Um, we're going to go to chapter 19 now of Genesis, so go ahead and turn there. But in between Genesis 13 and Genesis 19, God is blessing Abraham left and right. He's, uh, he gives him Isaac, gives him the, his promised son. Um, if you read through that passage, don't do it while we're preaching tonight, but if you read through that passage, there's, Abraham is getting blessed all over the place from, by God. And we see nothing of... Lot, except that he gets captured with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when all the kings went to war, and Abram has to go find him and, uh, and rescue him. But look at Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to read a, a fairly lengthy portion. I'm going to make some comments as we go through here, but Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. They haven't, talked to, they haven't talked to him yet. Somehow he knew these were men of God, angels of God. No one else really would have noticed it apparently because Lot sees them, gets up, and he goes to them. <clears throat> and, and the reason I bring that up is uh, 2 Peter, and we'll get to this, but 2 Peter chapter 2, Lot is called righteous Lot. The Bible says that he vexed his righteous soul day to day by living in the city of Sodom. But he still has a little bit of 
spirituality, a little bit of uh, his spiritual side that he sees these men of God. In verse 2, he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, we'll abide in the street all night. And he pressed them, pressed upon them greatly. They turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him. So Lot goes out to these men of Sodom, and he's going to try to reason with them. And, he's, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And that's another interesting thing there in verse 7. Brethren, he calls the the men of the city of Sodom, brethren. He said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Verse 8, Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Uh, Lot has, has fallen a long way from righteous Lot at this point. Verse 9, And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worsely with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the message. But Lot goes from sitting in the gate, which we'll talk about. The gate was, was an important spot. I mean, this is where the leaders of the city sat. And he goes from being a leader in the city to this man came to sojourn. He will needs be a judge to us. Verse 10, but the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they, were wearied, they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, oh, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, and the angels hastened, Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And verse 16 is interesting to me. Um, doesn't tell us why he lingered, whether he was trying to get his the rest of his family out, but Lot after all, they just told him, we're going to destroy this city. You've got to get out. Verse 16, while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife, the hand of his two daughters, and they drag him forth out of the city. But after all of this, after all these men have, you know, they've tried to uh, tear his house apart, tried to get to him, he still lingers in this city trying to, like I said, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but most likely... He just could not bring himself to walk away from everything that he had. Everything that the world had uh, given to him. He finally had made it, so to speak. He was rich, and he can't walk away from it. And the reason I say that is because in verse 26, his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. She was the same way. She, they could not leave everything that, that they had earned, everything they had gained in Sodom. We're going to talk about tonight... Um, title of the message is Don't Turn Back, but the theme 
is uh, our seriousness in the Christian life. Are we serious? And, and unfortunately, I think we want to be and we try to be. It's kind of what we talked about this morning. We want to be right with God. But there's so much in the world that gets in our way. And it's not an excuse. It's something we have to overcome. But that is the Christian life. There's books written on it, the victorious Christian life. And most of those books are written about showing us and teaching us and trying to encourage us to get rid of sin in our lives, to clean our lives so that God, so that we can reach the full potential God has for us in our Christian lives. Um, Luke 17 is kind of a parallel passage, but um, if I can get to it real quickly, there's just the one verse in uh, Luke 17, 32. I could quote it. It's very, very short, but... Um, I'll read a couple verses right before it. Uh, Luke 17, you don't have to turn there, you're more than welcome to. Verse 28, the Bible says, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Don't go back for your stuff. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. That's all, that's all the verse says, remember Lot's wife. Um, like I said, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Don't turn back. We've, we've been saved. God has called us out of the world, whether we were called out of the world as young children, older adults, when you finally got saved. Uh, He's called us out. He's changed us, as we heard this morning. We have become new creatures. Don't go back. The Bible talks about us. Someone sinning comes out of their sin and goes back to it. It's like a dog returning to their vomit. It's a, it's a, a nasty picture, but that's exactly what we do. We get saved. God changes our life, and we notice a change in people's lives when they get saved. But then over time, we go back to that sin. And maybe not even sin. Maybe it's just the things of the world. They draw our attention and they pull our, our attention off of what God wants us to do uh, for him. Yeah. Serving God does not mean you have to be a missionary on a foreign field somewhere. That's not, it doesn't mean that. Sometimes serving God is uh, just being in the job that you're at right now, but he wants you to be a witness. Um, I have guys that I work with that I've worked with three, four, five years and find out from somebody else that, oh yeah, they go to church because you can't tell. There's no difference between them and others. Um, it, was, it was funny, we went uh, whitewater rafting and uh, just on Saturday, and me and my brother were talking about this, the, the guide finally, kind of close to the end of the trip, we, they were talking and he said, yeah, I'm a pastor of a Baptist church. He said, oh, <laughs> I go to a Baptist church every Sunday with my aunt aunt, grandma, one of them, and as a shock to us because of his mouth and everything else, I go to Baptist church every, every week. Is that you? Oh, not the language maybe, but your testimony. Are, do people know you're a Christian? They talk about everything they want to talk about on the job site, and you have to put up with it. Do you talk about God? And I'm not saying every minute of every day of every job, but do they know you're a Christian? Do they know it's important to you? Uh, not just church, but God. Do they know he's important to you? Um, Second Peter, go ahead and turn there. Second Peter, chapter 2. 
And this is where uh, Lot is talked about in the book of uh, 2 Peter. But 2 Peter 2, verse 7 and 8. And he delivered, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That's different than when the Bible talks about being in the world but not of the world. That's, that's not what Lot was doing. Lot had chosen to go in and become a part of that city, become a part of every the day-to-day goings-on uh, in that city. And he vexed his righteous soul day to day, the Bible says. Um, it's interesting, in, verse, in chapter 14 of Genesis is when the kings went to war and Sodom and Gomorrah were overtaken uh, by, by, I'm not even going to try to explain all the other kings, there's a whole bunch of crazy names and, and places, but they went to war and, and Lot is taken captive. In chapter 13, right at the end, or toward the end, is when he chose to go to Sodom. And a lot of times we think, you know, he went to Sodom and then, We'll hear messages preached slowly. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, and then he, you know, shopped in Sodom, and then he moved to Sodom. But from chapter 13 to chapter 14, he's already in Sodom. I mean, it's a, it was a quick move. He gets captured with the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham has to go and, and find him, chase the, track them down, and then bring him back. And no doubt, I was thinking about this as I read, there's no doubt that Abraham, when he rescued him, said, you got to stay out of that city. You have to stay out of there. I mean, surely he would have given him some advice. But as soon as he gets him back to the city, he goes right back to Sodom, right back to his possessions, right back to his things. Uh, and we see that in chapter 14 as well. Maybe it's chapter 15. But as soon as, as, soon as Lot rescues, I mean, Abraham rescues him, he goes back to the city, right back to his sin. Um, <clears throat> it's... Um, We'll go, ahead and, we'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll just get into the message. The, the introduction is, is very long, or can be very long, so we'll get into the message, and then we'll, or we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the message we heard this morning. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, uh, that we would make changes where we need to, God, but more than just desire to change, God, I pray that we would change, that we would uh, make changes where we need to, to be more like you, to live close, to, to draw closer to you, to live more like you. And God, I just pray that uh, as we uh, go through this message tonight, that, that this would be one more tool in our bag to help us make those changes that we, we need, whether it's just encouragement to make the changes uh, or actual conviction that, that we need to change. And uh, God, I just pray that you would uh, be with me as I preach, that give me the words to say. And uh, God, I just pray that you would use your word to work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The story told of a farmer uh, found a little eaglet and rescued it, didn't know what else to do with it, so he put it in the pen with his chickens. And um, of course, the eagle grew up looking very different from the chickens, um, but started acting just like the chickens. Never, he'd never seen an eagle flying. The chickens don't fly for the most part. So day after day, he'd throw the food on the ground. That, that uh, eagle would eat the food with the chickens. And <clears throat> because of that, because he always facing the ground, never seen anything flying around, he became exactly like the chickens. And 
So this farmer, retired, was getting ready to move across the country, sold everything he had, sold all his animals, sold everything, but couldn't bring himself to get rid of the eagle or give it away, sell it, whatever. So he decided, before I move, I'm going to teach this eagle to fly. So he held the eagle up and dropped it, and the eagle landed right on the ground, just crashed on the ground. And the farmer tells the story <clears throat> that he threw it in the air several times, and the eagle didn't know what to do, so it crashes to the ground. And I'm not sure what part of the country he was in, but he said he held that, put that eagle up on a fence post and was holding it there so it wouldn't, wouldn't fall off. And he heard screams coming from above of other eagles, a whole bunch of eagles flying through. And he said that eagle looked up and saw all the other eagles flying. And he said, uh, if you know anything about eagles, my, my grandpa loves eagles. He did a whole series on eagles. But, but eagles will fly straight into the sun. They've got a membrane that comes down over their eyes, and especially if they're in danger. But they'll fly straight into the sun to where whatever's chasing them or anything, it can't even see them because the sun is behind them. But this eagle flapped his wings and took off and flew off and never saw him again. He, and, he, and this farmer says that eagle finally realized his full potential as an eagle what he was supposed to do. He was not made to walk around on the ground like a chicken. He was made to fly, soar through the air with those strong wings. And, he's, and he tells this story and he said, I think that most Christians are like that. We get into the daily grind of what the world has us doing. We go to work, we come home, we sleep, we get back up, we go to work. And he says, he, he was talking about this, and he said that if we would ever, as the Bible tells us to, look toward Jesus Christ and see what he has for us to do, realize our full potential as Christians, imagine what God could do for us. We're not made to go around on this earth and make people's businesses a success. That's not what we're here to do. We're here as soldiers of Jesus Christ. Amen. And unfortunately, we never take up our armor. We never take up our weapons. We go through this world following the world like these chickens do, and we never, we never realize what God has for us to do. Uh, I, heard an, I heard an ad, uh, and you probably heard it if you listened to 1140 at all. It's some pill, I think, I can't remember the name of it, Living Well or something like that. But they say, if you take this pill, your mind will clear, and you'll, you know, you'll understand, or you'll, you, you'll remember things that you haven't remembered in years, and just all these things. Basically, the, the shades will come off of your brain, and, and you'll be you know, years younger mentally. Uh, whether or not that's true, I, I doubt it. But I do think that that's what happens to us as Christians. We get so bogged down in sin. Sometimes it's just bogged down in the things of the world. We're so interested in social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and any ones that I missed. We're so busy working on that stuff, on our profiles and on our feeds or whatever they're called that we don't even give God a chance to get into our life. Our minds are basically clouded with things of the world. Um, if we would get into God's word, if we would seriously ask God, what do you want me to do in my life? I think God would show us and we would be ashamed of how much we've been missing all along. But that's Satan's plan. Uh, he, we've talk, we talk about this with salvation. 
He doesn't say, no, God's not real. Jesus isn't real. Don't get saved. He says, do it tomorrow. He does the same thing with Christians. You're saved. There's nothing he can do about that now. You're God's child. But if he can cloud our minds with the things of this world and keep us preoccupied with stuff and toys and money and jobs, he can keep us from serving God. He can keep us from doing what God wants us to do. So let's look at a few things with um, Lot and his lack of seriousness in his Christian life, what it cost him uh, in, in his life, not just his spiritual life, his physical life as well. So first of all, uh, Lot's lack of seriousness, Genesis chapter 19, verse 6, his lack of seriousness in his Christian walk cost him his holiness and his peace. Imagine, I know I'm not the only one. Anytime you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing or you're not doing something you're supposed to doing, be doing, the Holy Spirit, which is sent for that reason, to convict, he's here to comfort us as well, but he convicts us. The lack of peace in our lives I know we've all felt it. Can you imagine the lack of peace in Lot's life? The Bible said in 2 Peter, it vexed his righteous soul day to day. Every single day Lot woke up. I can imagine the, the battle going on in his mind, in his, in his spiritual walk. I know he wasn't trying to be spiritual. That's, I'm not saying that. But the Holy Spirit trying to convict him. And I know... We get the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and all that. But God, is, God was trying to get Lot to do what was right, and he had moved into this city. Genesis chapter 19, verse 6. We already read it, but we're going to focus on these three verses here on this point. Genesis chapter 19, 6. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. He's trying to protect these men. But in those verses, the, the lack of holiness, the lack of peace in, in Lot's life, uh, the, the state he has come to living in this city is, is really unbelievable. He's willing to give up his own family uh, for some strangers that he has met uh, to these wicked men of Sodom. Um, we all have, and, and we sing the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all have a tendency to stray. Um, but here's the thing with a Christian, I th and I think this is, like I was saying before, exactly what Satan tries to get us to do. He, he tells us, you know, you're not a pastor, you're not in full-time ministry, you're not, you know, uh, in, any kind, in ministry, so to speak, wander a little bit you'll come back you'll get it right there's nothing wrong you know here and there a little sin but look at uh genesis chapter 19 verse 24 we do that and god's judgment is swift he tells us that it is and we'll look at another passage uh, that talks about it in, in another point but 24 and 25 of chapter 19 the lord reigned upon sodom and upon gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and that which grew upon the ground. To this day, nothing grows where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And it says it was a well-watered uh, plain like unto the garden of the Lord. It was like the garden of Eden at one point. And when he destroyed this city, he overthrew it to the point that 
everything that grew on the ground was destroyed and destroyed forever. It, it still does not grow to this day. Uh, nothing escapes God's judgment. And we're not going to look at any, any verses tonight necessarily about promises that uh, God's going to judge and all the rest of that. But uh, we, we've heard enough messages, we've read enough of the Bible to know God is going to judge us. We are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. And I think maybe sometimes that's what's wrong with us as Christians is, I'll give an account, but I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to get there. That's all, I, that's all we're worried about. But God wants so much more for us than that. He wants us to live a victorious Christian life, not one where, you know, we come sliding in barely making it half dead into heaven he wants us to be to come in and be able to hear well done here are your rewards you've served me faithfully um and i and i do think i don't i don't think anybody intends that as soon as they get saved they they're really excited about serving god but as we go through this earth and we get the stains and the scuffs from the world as we bump along in the world and we don't clean those that dirt off we start to become like the world um, our, our, plain and simple our problem is we like our sin more than we love God the Bible talks about that in 1 John chapter 2 talks about that in uh, Matthew you cannot serve God and mammon we like our sin more than we love God um, <clears throat> the world doesn't want um, the absolute most miserable place for a Christian is living in sin. And the world doesn't want us there because we're God's child. The world doesn't want us. The world doesn't uh, have any use for us because we're God's child. But as we go through the earth world and get all stained with sin, God has no use for us either because we're filthy. Remember in, in chapter 19, verse 9, Lot thought he was one of the leaders of the city. He thought he was kind of a big shot. And let's look at what they tell him in, in verse 9. This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will need to be a judge to us. We're going to tear him apart. The world had no use for him, but he's vexed his righteous soul so much that God has no use for him. He has to destroy the city. And we know the story, but God, uh, Abraham is, which Lot has no clue about this, but Abraham is is pleading for the city on Lot's behalf. And Lot's not even doing that. But after all of that pleading from Abraham, he can't find 10 righteous people. He can't find anybody in this city uh, that's living for God and wants to, wants to serve God, so God has to destroy it. Secondly, <clears throat> the Bible says, uh, going back to that point, great peace have they which love thy law. Lot had no peace. He had no peace. Um, his lack of seriousness in his Christian walk also cost him the safety of his family. 19, chapter 19 and verse 9, we already read it, but uh, turn, turn real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is uh, God telling the Israelites what they're supposed, how they're supposed to teach their families uh, in order to keep them living uh, in the law that God had given them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and it goes on. But thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way. When's the last time the family sat down and you talked about the things of God, talked about things in the Bible and how we could change them in our lives? The Bible commands us to do that. Teach them diligently to thy children. But verse 6 right before that says, these, these words which I command thee shall be in thine heart. They're not in your heart. You can't teach them to your family. And we'll see as we go through, if you don't teach them to your family, you're, you're compromising the safety spiritually for sure of your family. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so when we walk around in a daze spiritually, we're not sober, we're not vigilant of, this, of Satan's attacks. His attacks tear us apart. The lion in Africa doesn't go after the biggest, strongest elephant he sees. He goes after the weak, the sick, little baby gazelle that's just been born. And he tries to tear those little animals apart. It's easy pickings. And I know we talk about, you know, when, when the devil starts seeing people live for God, he's going to turn his guns and attack, and he does. But the easiest, easiest prey for him to get is our kids. They don't, sometimes before they're saved, especially, they don't even know God. They, they know of him. They know, you know, about him. But they're weak. They're weak in their faith, for sure. They're weak uh, mentally, physically. They're, they're weak. And if, if Satan can attack them and, and tear them up, that's what he's after especially if we're not teaching them diligently uh, in, our, in our homes, teaching them. Church shouldn't be the only place they hear the Bible being read or the stories from the Bible being taught. Uh, they should hear it from us, especially as fathers. Um, I mentioned this just a little bit ago. We're not, we, we're not just trying to raise good citizens with, with morals. That's not what we're after. People, unsaved people do that. They raise good citizens moral moral people but that's not what we're after only uh that will come with what with raising them for god but we're trying to raise soldiers for jesus christ and this is not some kind of jihadist you know uh crazy thing that i'm talking about we know that we're trying to raise soldiers that are going to go out and win others for jesus christ that are going to take uh the gospel forward uh deuteronomy 29 you're in Deuteronomy already, hopefully. Go to, go to Deuteronomy 29. We, do, we jeopardize our family safety uh, because if we don't teach them how to live for God, they will be judged by God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 18 is where we'll start. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away from this day away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. And then verse 20, the Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. And the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. This is talking about somebody that turns from living for God, from serving the true God, talking to Israel. 
but it applies to us as well. The person that turns from living for God, from serving God, these, this is going to happen to you. So that the generation, verse 22, to come of your children that shall rise up after you and the stranger that shall come from a far land shall say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sickness which the Lord hath laid upon it, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning that is not sown nor beareth nor any grass groweth therein like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not just land. This is in a life as well. There's no growth. Um, verse 24, or at the end of verse 23, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Even all the nations shall say, wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshiped them, worshiped them, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring it upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord goes on. But it's talking to the children of Israel that this is what's going to happen to a man or a family that turns from living for God, from serving the one true God. But the judgment that a man could bring upon his family and everybody in his whole lineage after him from turn, by turning away from living for God. Uh, I've seen it. You know, no names need to be mentioned because we've all seen families that we've, we grew up with them maybe in church. And God just was not that important in those homes. They might have gone to church. They might have, uh, with their lips, said, you know, they loved Jesus so much and sang about it maybe and everything else. By their fruits, you know them, though. When they don't teach their children to follow in those footsteps after them, uh, they don't teach them what God has done in their lives, it's not, and it's not important in their kids' lives, God judges. Um, God continues, uh, I'll, I'll just go there myself, but Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9. Our nation is in jeopardy of this exact judgment as well. Isaiah chapter 1 that, that we just read, but Isaiah 1, 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. If that doesn't describe America, it's a very small remnant. Uh, that are still serving God. Except God had left a very small remnant, their nation would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. I, th I think ours is on the, on the precipice, very close to that. But if God left a remnant and we are part of that remnant, we've got to stand. We have to do everything we can to be serious about our walk, serious about our Christian life. Uh, our, our walk with God is so important. Um, Thirdly, Lot's lack of seriousness cost him his influence among his family. Um, we talked about this a little bit, and I'm not going to go to the passages. I'll mention them if you want to write them down. It's very interesting passages. But Lot sat in the gate of the city uh, in Genesis chapter 19 right there uh, at the beginning of the passage. Came to pass, or there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Mentioned this before, but this, the gate of the city was a very important place. It was a place where business transactions took place. Court was convened there. Pub, public announcements were heralded. In Deuteronomy 21, uh, remember, if a, if, a, if a kid was rebellious to his parents, 
They brought him to the gate of the city. He was judged there, and they stoned him in the gate of the city. Ruth, uh, Boaz, takes her as his wife, as the kinsman redeemer, but he comes to the city gates and says, I am the kinsman redeemer. Uh, the gates were a very important, important place. Lot sits in the, in the gates of the city, important in this city of Sodom. But when the angels told him, go to your family and tell them, we are going to destroy this city. And it's in, it's in uh, verse 14. Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, oh, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Maybe it's because Lot mocked the things of God. I don't know. But he comes to them to warn them of this judgment, and they laugh at him. They think he's joking with them. That's, that's what he seemed as one that mocked. They think he's messing around with them, thinking he's being funny. Um, and just as a side note, when, when God promises the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, this is what he's talking about. The most important, the most, the highest ranking demons that Satan has will not prevail against his church. The most important uh, parts, most important players of hell will not prevail against his church. But Lot loses influence uh, among his family there in, in verse 14. Um, I just think it's so important that we're not worried about being a big shot in our careers. We're not worried about, uh, uh, you know, being a big shot in politically maybe, or in the, you know, in the, a, a big shot in a, in a town or a county or whatever. Those positions have to be filled. They, they will be filled. And there's nothing wrong with a Christian filling one of those positions um, politically or whatever else. But if that's our only goal is to be a big shot, you know, in man's eyes, we fail. Um, and, you know, if, if we're a big shot in the eyes of man and our, and our kids walk away from God, we fail. Um, then lastly and, and quickly, and then I'll, I'll close with an illustration but the, after this last point. But Lot's lack of seriousness in his Christian walk, he ends up losing his wife and his daughters as well. Chapter 19, verse 26, real quickly, but wife, his wife looked back from behind him. She became a pillar of salt. Lost, Lot loses his wife's wife. Then he loses his daughters. Two are destroyed in the city. Remember, he couldn't get them to leave with his them and his sons-in-law. And then two more are ruined, and we won't read the passage. You can read it on your own, but 19, verse 31 through 38, he loses two more of his daughters. I mean, wicked wicked sin he loses his entire family and lot is he's left alone um and that's pretty much all we hear that's the end of lot but the two daughter the two children that were born from his daughters the firstborn bear a son verse 37 of chapter 19 and called his name moab you recognize that a thorn in the side of the israelites for i mean for the entire bible uh, uh, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. In verse 38, And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. The children of Israel were constantly fighting the Ammonites. Lot lost his, his entire family um, because he was not serious about living for God. Things of this world had completely swallowed him up. Remember what we read in chapter 19, uh, no, it was in chapter 13, and I won't go there, but he looked out, saw the well-watered plain, 
and that and made his decision and never looked back. He walked away from God and walked away from God and walked away from God and vexed his righteous soul day to day. And so that's the whole point of this message is if you are, if you have turned back towards those things that you left when you were saved, uh, my, my prayer to you, for you is that you will turn back to God. But also this is an encouragement to, to not turn back toward those things. There's, there's nothing in the world that the world has to offer that is worth it. Um, they have lots of toys, lots of things, but you can't take it with you. Uh, we heard a message, I think it was last week, um, about, it might have even been Wednesday, but, but crowns that we will be able to, to cast at Jesus' feet. And the, non, the unspiritual man, the Bible says the natural man, doesn't understand spiritual things. The natural man thinks, you know, live your entire life to cast a crown at, at Jesus' feet or at God's feet. But the but the the Christian who's anywhere close to being serious about walking for God, that's a huge thing. Everything we do in this on this earth is sending sending our our rewards ahead so that we can one day cast them at God's feet. So we can one day hear him say well done because we have been faithful. He doesn't, he doesn't say well done thou good servant that saw dozens of people saved. It's, that's not what he is rewarding us for. He's rewarding us for being a good and faithful servant. And a faithful servant puts the things of this world out of his mind. We have to. Uh, we need money. We need certain things to survive but that's not our goal is the whole point. Um, in 1954, and I'll close with this illustration, then we'll be done. But 1954, uh, Roger Bannister, you know that name, broke first man to break a mile, run a mile in under four minutes. Finally broke the, the four-minute mark in running a mile. And within two months, his record was broken. John Landy, another, another young guy, broke it and was a second and a half faster uh, than Roger Bannister. So... Uh, this is 1954, but the media thought, man, we can put these two racing against each other. We'll get a lot of, you know, we can hype this up really, really good. So John Landy was faster. He beat him by a second and a half. So they put these two out to race against each other. The big day finally came, and, and they take off. And John Landy was quite a ways ahead of Roger Bannister, actually, until the last lap. So on a track, you run four laps. That's a mile. On the last lap, he's still leading. He's coming down the final stretch. And he could hear Roger Bannister closing in and could not help himself. He finally turned around to see where it was at. And as soon as he turned around, Roger Bannister passed him, actually beat him uh, in this mile. And they interviewed John Landy afterwards. And, and this was the, his final statement. He said, if I had not turned back, I would have beat him. And, and I think that's how it is in our Christian lives. If we, have, if we would just not turn back to what we came from, we can get those rewards that God wants to give us. We can walk that spiritual Christian life, that victorious Christian life that God wants us to have. But we see the world and we turn aside and we gotta go get, we gotta go get a little piece of that. We gotta go get a little piece of this. And we eventually end up like that, like that uh, eagle that we mentioned in the beginning, just walking around with the world, completely useless as a Christian completely useless in God's army.
to see others saved, to see his work go forward, uh, to help other Christians that are in need, completely useless because we've, we've started to play the world's game, follow the world, do what the world is telling us to do. Uh, we turn back and, and we're not serious in our Christian lives. God wants us uh, to be serious. And we just went on that rafting trip on, on Friday and Saturday. The, the Christian life doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be uh, serious doesn't, about walking for God doesn't mean never have any fun, uh, never enjoy yourself, never take a vacation. It does mean that we never turn back to the things of the world. We're serious. We have a mission that we are on, and, and that is to live for God. And to, uh, we're going to sin, but we get right back on the path. That's what's important. Uh, had Lot, like I mentioned before, he, I think he had an opportunity. When he got captured with all, those, with all the inhabitants of Sodom, I'm, I'm sure Abraham talked to him, gave him advice, said, you've got to get out of the city. It was, he had a chance to get back on the right path, to get back walking with God, and maybe save his family. Had it, when he went to Sodom, you know, he might not have even had any children yet. He could have gotten out of Sodom at that point, and raised his kids to walk after the things of God, but he didn't. He turned back again. No seriousness in his Christian life, and, and he was destroyed, and his family was destroyed because of it. Um, so let that be an encouragement to you, or maybe let it be conviction to you if, if you're not walking seriously in your Christian life to, to get back on the path that God wants you to be on. Uh, and if you are on the path that God wants you to be on, it's encouragement. Don't turn off of that. Don't turn back. Don't The world... Uh, it's the, the pleasures of sin are for a season. They're, they're, they're fleeting. They're, they're going to be burned up. And God tells us that, and he warns us over and over in his word to stay away from the world. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. You can, you can be in the world without loving the world. And I think uh, sometimes Christians get so caught up with the world, we actually start to love it. We actually start to eat it up. We, we like the world more than... We love God, and we, we walk away from him. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be done. Father, I thank you for this day again that you've given us. God, I thank you for uh, this church, a place where we can uh, come to worship you, God, where we have like-minded Christians that really want to live for you, God, that we, we want to raise our families for you. Um, we have no... Um, Nothing better that we can leave behind than another generation of Christians that is fighting the fight, uh, fighting for God, good soldiers uh, that are carrying your word forward, carrying the gospel, and seeing people saved. And God, I pray that we would raise our children uh, not just to be good people, but to live for you and to be serious about uh, living for you. And uh, God, I just pray that this message would have been an encouragement, uh, a conviction it was to me, God, to... Make sure that we are not getting caught up with what this world has to offer. Satan wants nothing more than to see a Christian get sidetracked uh, and become unprofitable, unuseful in your service. And I pray that that wouldn't be us. And I pray that we would uh, be involved in the ministries here. We would be involved in going out and knocking on doors, be involved in telling our neighbors uh, about you, but not just telling them, God, living it in front of them, letting them see, uh, God, that, that you have servants that are still serious about living for you, about uh, serving you. And uh, God, I just thank you for this church again. Thank you for 
all of my friends that are here. And uh, God, I just pray that you'd help each one of us to live for you. And uh, as we go from here this week, we would go back to work and uh, with a, a renewed uh, seriousness about making sure that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world uh, so that we don't, as Lot did, vex our righteous souls day to day. God, we are yours. Uh, I pray that we would uh, live for you and, and stay clean uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you would stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You know, we're to be in the world, but not of it. And Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 9, I'm certainly not going to re-preach the message, but I, I, my mind was drawn to this passage. I, I thought about this when he was preaching. It says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? After you know what it's like to live on the top of the mountain, after you know what it's like to be right with God, after you know what it's like to be just completely clean before Him, and I'm sure that every Christian has had those times in their life when they really felt right with God and knew they were right with God. How in the world can you turn back to the weak and beggarly elements and desire again to be in bondage to those things? Well, you're a Christian. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're in bondage. No, we're not in bondage. We're free. We've been set free from all of the bondage of sin. We don't have to do those things. But what kind of foolish prisoner would it be that gets set free from a prison, walks out the front door and turns around and puts his hand behind his back and says, please put the handcuffs on me and put me back in jail. No, no prisoner in their right mind would do that. They're set free. Man, I'm, I'm free and breathe fresh air again. I can live again. And that's what it's like to be a Christian that's right with God. Why would you want to go back into bondage to those things that held you down in the first place? I think that's the point that he was trying to get across in the message. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Once you get a taste of what it's like, boy, it's great. It's great on the mountaintop. Stay there. Stay there. God's spoken to your heart tonight as the piano plays. The invitation is open and you can come.